Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, Paul has some harsh words for the foodies of this world. This is Day 14. Welcome to the Journey Through Philippians podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Philippians can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to the Journey Through Philippians podcast. This is day 14, almost done with week three. We are... 70, what's the math here? 75% would be three of four weeks. So. I never, I stopped math in high school, so. Three so. or four weeks would be 75 <laughs> We're almost there. 70%. 14, 14 out of 20. 14 of 20 is 70%. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. I'm joined once again with Brendan Lang and Melissa Payne, and we have a guest today, our lead pastor of the Willow Chicago campus, Rob Campbell. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's thanks, a delight. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. You know, you have a unique campus and that yeah. you're downtown. It's a very unique situation, but Absolutely. I'm just curious, like, how is it different? How is your church different than even just the rest of the Willow Creek family? Because you've spent time at other campuses, too. Correct. Yeah, I was at South Barrington for a number of years, and then when we moved into the city, became part of Willow, Chicago. So, I mean, some of the primary differences, certainly just being in an urban environment mm-hmm. is different. We have many more people who walk to church or take their bike to church or take public transportation to, to church, L, yeah. which is different. I would say another difference in being in the city is you are confronted with the needs of the city. I mean, you cannot get away from them. And mm-hmm. We have people on the streets and we have people in our community who are struggling, you mm-hmm. know, from a resource perspective. So you're sort of living there. But, you know, I love being in the city. It's beautiful. Like I said, you walk more and there's just more, I think, diversity you know, mm. across mm-hmm. every, use whatever measure yeah. you want, and you see a lot more diversity in the city, mm-hmm. yeah. which is one of its strengths. I have a big question today, a delicious question, really. Hmm. What's your favorite meal mm. in the world? I see what you did there. Favorite meal for me would be steak and shrimp. Ooh. Steak mm. and shrimp. Yeah. Okay. So like medium rare and turf. And turf. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Hmm. Is there like a place that you've gotten it that it's like the best? Or is it just you? Well, there's a number of great steakhouses in Chicago. So I don't know if there's a single one, but there's a couple places that you would go. On. And also, I do a good job myself. I'm Ooh. having your steak. I'm up I for know, that. Right? Sounds good. What about you, Brendan? <laughs> that has me intrigued. So I know, right? I'm going to say steak and lobster. Oh. <laughs> Lobster's wow. too much work. Well, I don't make it. That's the thing. That's the difference. So I let <laughs> someone else do it. Melissa, what about you? Well, before I I went on this Greece trip, I would definitely say shrimp and grits at a restaurant in Destin, oh, Florida. Oh, bringing the southern charm. I know, right? But oh, Which restaurant? Is it, it AJ's or I A's? think it's the Great Southern. Oh, okay. I think that's what it's called. But since going to Greece, I would definitely say one of the mills that we had. I don't is know. There one? One of was there one? Was there one was restaurant? Was there one? I think it was the restaurant up the hill. That we went to. Oh, yeah. I don't even know the name of that. I don't either. It just had good <laughs> reviews on Yelp. The nice thing about them, they had food coming out to you immediately. Oh, it was so Because we were good. starving by that yes. point. We hadn't eaten all day. So the feta, the olives, the it's all lamb bread, the, yes, the kebabs. And just for context, we'd worked really hard before we this. Did. We deserved it. We it wasn't did. a vacation. Yeah, but sure. that was some of the best food I've ever had. All right. Yeah. Tyler? You are the I resident I actually foodie. have not thought about this. What? Are you kidding? You are a foodie. Yeah. You're like in the family of a legit foodie. Somewhat. You know what? I just like new things. So like there was another night in Greece where we went to that seafood place mm-hmm. and we didn't know what we were going to order. And we were literally like, what do you think that we should have? Just start bringing it. And that's what right. we had. Any environment where it's like that, where I get to like do something new or try mm-hmm. something that I've mm-hmm. never had before. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Very interesting. So, so is it really more the food or the environment? Just the experience. Okay. Is that cliche? That's cliche. Brendan, 
It was the food. Stop judging me. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was by the Aegean Sea, and it was sweet, deep dish fish. Deep, mm. di- wait, deep, deep dish, dish, not deep dish, fish. deep, deep sea, sea fish. fish. So you That's need to add some pizza to your yeah. list. But, well, Paul today oh, says that people need to stop thinking with their stomachs a lot, apparently. But I don't know totally what that means. Brendan, do you want to give us some clarity through the commentary today? Day 14, citizenship in heaven. As chapter three comes to a close, Paul warns his readers about one last group of enemies. He writes, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. There's been a fair amount of debate over what enemies Paul specifically had in mind in these verses. Some suggest Paul was referring to the same group of Judaizers that he had warned his readers about at the beginning of this chapter. Others suggest Paul was referring to Christian libertines, followers of Jesus who thought that their freedom from the law meant that they could indulge in all the pleasures that Roman society offered. At the center of the debate is what Paul meant by the phrase, their God is their stomach. If he had Judaizers in mind, this was an allusion to their strict dietary laws. If he had Christian libertines in mind, this was an allusion to their gluttonous and promiscuous lifestyle. It could be that Paul had both groups in mind. This would explain why he is so vague. Both groups made their stomach into a god. Whatever the case may be, these enemies had their minds set on earthly things. In this passage, Paul reminds his Philippian readers again that what matters is not whether they are Jews in practice or that they are fully participating Roman citizens. As a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Roman citizen, Paul understood the limitations of both worlds as much as anyone. What really mattered was that they lived as citizens of heaven because our citizenship is in heaven. This continues to be true for us today. We are no longer bound by the unique dietary laws that bound the people of God in the past, but our freedom from these laws does not mean that we are free to give in to every impulse of our bodies, even if we see others doing the same. Jesus wants us to discover that he is an infinitely better God than our stomach, and he's inviting us to join him in establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. For day 14, we're reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Melissa, want to take us through the discussion questions for today? First question. Verse 18 says that Paul shed tears for those he criticized. Why do you think he wept for them? Have you ever shed tears for someone in this way? Second question. Around the time that this letter was written, it was common for the Roman emperor to be referred to as Savior and Lord. What might Paul have had in mind when he gave Jesus these titles in verse 20? In light of verse 21, what distinguishes Jesus from Caesar? And why should we live in a way that honors Jesus with our bodies today?
So obviously Paul's not really talking about their stomachs as like a physical thing. I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of a physical thing, but he's more talking about their appetite for worldly things, right? It's a matter of debate, kind of, what's going on here. Well, then what does Paul have against foodies? What does he have? <laughs> I'm not sure if Paul ever met a foodie. I don't know. I bet the Romans were foodies. Come on. There were some foodies. There were probably some. Yeah. Quite a bit. They didn't post on Instagram, though. Definitely not. <laughs> Fair enough. Is that a requirement for being a foodie? I, or? I don't know. That seems like what they do today. There's some debate about what's going on here. At the beginning of this chapter, we talked about how Paul was confronting a group of Judaizers. At least that's how we understand the beginning, because it's actually kind of vague there, too. But most people think he's referring to a group of opponents who we would call Judaizers, people who have these sort of laws that they wanted to impose upon other Christians. They're uh, dogs with laws. Yeah, the dogs with laws. <laughs> so you have to be circumcised, you have to eat certain foods. This is what it looks like to be part of the people of God. And Paul says, you know, that's not exactly what the gospel is about. To become part of the people of God, what you need to do is simply believe. So some people would say that he's referring to those same opponents here. There are reasons to think that he might actually be referring to different opponents here as well. People who their concern isn't so much about dietary laws as it is about living this sort of free lifestyle. Now that we have been given forgiveness and grace by Jesus, we can do whatever we want. That means we can eat however we want. We can live however we want. It doesn't matter because we can always ask him for forgiveness. And so Paul's confronting maybe one or both of these. We know Paul actually confronted people like this in the letter of the first Corinthians. So he definitely has these opponents that he encounters throughout his ministry that sort of teach these things that are sort of false gospels that take this sort of core truth of what Jesus did in the cross and what the gospel is about and sort of distort it in ways that aren't appropriate for Christians. I feel like this passage, what Paul describes is pretty much where we're at today. You got two sides. They're either very legalistic, yeah. like to follow rules. Yeah. Checklist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or they are like, I'm forgiven or anything goes. I don't care about God <laughs> and everything goes, right? Yeah. Right. So how do we balance this in today's world? How do we do this well? Well, again, I think Paul gives instructions. I think Jesus gives instructions. I mean, if you're really serious about taking Jesus at his word, you think about loving everyone always, right? You're thinking about living a life of servanthood, mm-hmm. which is really thinking about in a life of stewardship. So you're really thinking about, okay, this liberty I have mm-hmm. isn't stewarded for myself. It's for others, and yeah. it's for the people around me. And so I think that is what Paul is challenging the church at Philippi to do, is to stay away from thinking about your worship of God as something sort of following rules, nor think of it as liberty to do whatever you want. It's rather, what does God want you to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's why he talks about your citizenship is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So how would you behave as a citizen of heaven? Yeah, that's really good. It reminds me of like what we talked about with chapter one, too, this yeah. idea that you're supposed to conduct yourselves, live as citizens of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I love how you put it. It's not about legalism. Mm-hmm. It's about what it looks like to be faithful, what it looks like to be a good citizen of heaven. Mm-hmm. How do we practically do that? We kind of answered this in week one mm-hmm. a little bit, but within this new context, you know, you see the extremes of both sides. Yeah. And so it's almost like scary. I don't yeah. want to go over here yeah. and be like, so about the rules that I don't let people into, you know, this thing that we know, which is salvation, which is life change, which is a community of mm-hmm. people who belong. But I also don't want to be so liberal with the rules that I'm no longer within the will of God or within the kingdom. I don't want to be not set apart. Yeah. So how do we like daily, how do we practically do this? I mean, again, I think Paul gives us an indication where he talks about follow those who live like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the power of community yeah. is when we recognize that in one another, right? Then we have the opportunity to really speak into one. Here's the way I live it out. You know, mm-hmm. so here are the practices that I engage in because let's face it, our days are filled 
with distractions. They're going to pull us in mm-hmm. one direction or the other. And so what are the practices we need to put into place? Who are the people we need to talk to on a regular basis to sort of keep us on true north, if you will? Mm-hmm. Melissa, what do you do on a daily basis to keep you on true north? Yeah. I mean, it may sound like, oh, that's the easiest thing, but I'm just staying in scripture. I think just being grounded in my faith. I think surrounding myself with people that are encouraging me to do that, but then also people that are not afraid to even call me out and lovingly share the things that I'm like struggling in. But I was actually going to say the time that we were able to go to the Chicago campus, I got to be a part of a team that went into the community and prayed with some of your pastors and some of the people in your congregation. And that was one of the most beautiful things because it wasn't just a one-time thing Mm. that you guys do as a church in your community, but it was like the police officers and the people that were coming around, they knew you. And so they knew that you were a group of people that were wanting to love them right where they were. You weren't saying, hey, come into our church and then we'll love on you. But like, we're going to go into the community where God is needed. And like we talked about, that we can shine like stars, you know, and that we're able to be a light in that world as well. So I love that example Mm -hmm. that your congregation participates in. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. What I liked about that, too, is like it wasn't us people who had never been there before going in and saying how we should do it. Right. And it wasn't even you guys going into right. these communities and being like, this is how we're going to do it. It was coming along people who are already doing the Lord's work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. it's looking for these communities. I mean, this is our global model too. Mm-hmm. We look around the world and we say, okay, what churches are having a real impact and how do we bolster them, come alongside them and help them towards their mission rather than telling them how to do it? Which is a real servant model. What excites us, you know, one, as we shared when you guys came down to visit, is, you know, one of our audacious prayers is for God to do a miracle in a Bronzeville neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is right next to our neighborhood. And our approach has been, we're here to serve. You mm-hmm. know, like, who's already there doing the work and how can we come alongside of you? And it's amazing. People love to be served. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out. I love it when you bring me coffee, Brendan. Well, I didn't do it today. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I've been to That's talk why to you he mentioned that. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Tomorrow. Let's Casual. Keep that coming. You know, that yeah. coffee's been really nice lately. <laughs> but, you know, another thing that we see in this passage is this contradiction between Caesar and Jesus. Mm. And Paul mentions that in the passage. Yeah, at least implicitly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he really like kind of makes a big deal about that. We saw that in Philippi. We saw that there was basically a temple towards the worship of Caesar. Mm-hmm. Right. We've mentioned that before. But And this is one of our discussion questions today. What does distinguish Jesus from Caesar? I mean, there are a lot of things, but the thing I think we're trying to get at with this question is here, again, Paul uses this language that was used. I mean, there's an inscription that was made not too far away from Philippi in Western Turkey that talks about Caesar in these terms as Savior and Lord. And Paul, in verse 21, what he says is unique about our Lord, our Savior, is he's someone who has the power to bring everything under control and transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. He's not just a powerful figure who lived at one time in history. He lived in history for sure, and he died, but he also rose from the dead and he continues mm-hmm. to live and he has the power to transform our lives. And this is why how we live with our bodies actually matters so much because, yeah, we don't have our transform. We don't have our new bodies. We have this promise that one day he's going to do this to us, but mm-hmm. we already have new life, you might say. And so we have a taste of that. And so we should treat our current bodies in a sense like we would those future bodies. But that's what distinguishes Jesus from Caesar, really. He's not just a man. He's God. Right. Treat our bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. What's that mean? Like, if I've never been to church, like, what is living, <laughs> treat but, my body okay, as a living but if, sacrifice? Well, but if you think yeah. about it, okay, so if we think about ourselves as something to be offered to the Lord, mm. it should change the way we would use 
our speech, mm-hmm. what we read, oh, what good. we listen to, mm-hmm. what we do, how we interact with one another. I think that's the image that Paul's talking about when he writes that to be a living sacrifice is this idea of complete submission to what God is doing. And again, mm-hmm. I think as he was thinking about citizenship, mm-hmm. it's the same way. How do we conduct ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God? And it's all-encompassing. That's mm. really good. Can I just point out one yeah, other distinction, sure. I think, between yeah. Caesar no, and great. Jesus? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my wife Tammy and I had the opportunity to actually visit Rome this past summer. Oh, wow. Oh, and nice. so you saw monument after monument mm-hmm. built to Caesars yeah. that yeah. were gone. Yeah. And, you know, a Caesar would die, and the next Caesar would feel the need to build a larger <laughs> palace for them, yeah. regardless of the cost. And what was striking is every building, almost every building you'd see in Rome, you began to realize they were all paid for by the conquering of another people. Yeah. Mm. So you think about each of the Caesars built their empire mm-hmm. on the backs of someone else, whereas the kingdom of God is built on the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah. And so it's just That's this, good. I think, just sharp contrast yes. between empire building and kingdom building. And you have the way of power and dominion and control and subjugation and violence as opposed to love and service and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. That yeah. makes me think, in some ways, the New Testament also describes us as like his palace, his temple, and he lives lives within us. Mm -hmm. And so it's a temple, it's a palace that lives on. You go to Rome, you go to Palatine, you can see the base of the walls, you know, but I mean, you know how big it is, you have an idea of the scale, but they're not really there to this day. And then this lives on in us. And so I love that analogy. The other thing that's striking for me about this passage is the other association I have with this idea of the body of Christ is when it comes to the church. Mm -hmm. How do we treat our church? But also Mm -hmm. what is the purpose Mm -hmm. of our church supposed to be throughout the ages? I'm just curious. What do you think the church is supposed to be in this current and present day? It's constantly changing and shifting with society. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to be you know, a light for Christ in our world. What does that mean for the church now? Yeah, I think of the church as the present manifestation of the kingdom of God. I mean, our bodies change from season to season, right? And so you would expect, I believe you'd expect I turned 30, church. I need way more sleep. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 30, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, um, and I haven't slept since. Yeah. But, you know, so I think the church is to, to me, the great tension of the church is to be in the world, but not of the world, mm-hmm. right? We're not removed from it. We are to be part of it, and we are to represent the person of Jesus Right where we are. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think, frankly, you know, the imagery of sacrifice and imagery of being the temple of the Holy Spirit can help orient us Mm -hmm. to really living out our citizenship as part of the kingdom of heaven, because Mm -hmm. it reminds us of whose we are and what we're to be about. Mm -hmm. I feel like the more that I grow and understand what the church truly is, I feel like God is calling us more outside of the actual walls of the church and into the community where we are. And with the students, we always try to encourage them that, you know, where they are in their schools or in their sports or the activities or the ways that God has gifted them, that that is their mission field. You know, that that is where they are to be Christ and to show love to others. And hopefully in that way, we can bring them into the church. But I think I grew up with this mindset that if they come here, then they can be a part of our church. But it's more about going Mm. beyond the walls, you know? I completely agree. Kind of between the two of you, like that together is where I think the church is headed. Mm -hmm. Historically, it's been this place where we were talking about earlier, like if we think we can get them in church, Mm -hmm. we can tell them what we think they need, Mm -hmm. right? But really where the church is moving is to be an ingrained part of the community, something that responds to the needs of the community Mm -hmm. and is able to go when they need it. 
and be able to speak, what does Jesus have to say about the needs of that community? Right. You know, I mean, you think about it, Jesus says, here's how I want to let my kingdom come, right? My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I'm going to do is put people in every occupation, mm-hmm. every neighborhood, every school, and let them shine my light. I mean, that's a pretty dynamic principle. You know, here's the way I want to do that work. And mm-hmm. I think to your point, when we just think of the work of God, if you will, being done within the four walls of the church, we can lose sight of that. Absolutely. And so what we do when we come together are the things that encourage us and teach us Mm -hmm. and embolden us to then go out and share the good news of Jesus in what we say and how we live. Yeah, this Sunday morning service, we invite people. It's really about preparation for being the church the other however many hours a week we're out there. Well, it's humbling to have that posture too, because it means that everything you do do in this context... Yeah is in preparation for out there. And so if you're choosing whether or not you're going to do something in church or not, you have to think about it like, well, does this really serve our purpose and our calling outside of it? Mm-hmm. But if not, the Why decision's pretty clear. Right. I'm just curious for where your church is at right now. What do you feel like is your next season? Like, what does your church need to know or hear or challenge? Really, this is just an opportunity for you to yeah. speak to your church directly. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, again, I think we shared with you, you know, these audacious prayers that we believe God is asking us to pray as a church community. And the first one is that each of us would grow our faith in Jesus. You would expect to see that in a church, but what we're really asking our community to think about is where do you need to go where you haven't been before, mm. right? In order to grow, you're going to have to become bolder and take a risk. And it may be whether in terms of giving, or it may be in terms of going deeper in understanding the scripture and what you believe. It may be, you know, going across the hallway and knocking on the door and being willing to share a meal with somebody you haven't been shared before. But this idea that actually what we do does matter, and Jesus might have a point of view on what we do on a daily basis. So how do we go deeper? And then, you know, the second prayer is that people would come to know the good news of Jesus and follow him in baptism. So a big challenge for our church community is just to live lives where we're sharing Jesus. And not necessarily, you know, if you go back couple decades, like the four spiritual laws or something like that, but really enter into relationship and understand where people are. If we believe, and we do, that Jesus is the answer for the needs and the aches that we all have, then it's entering into relationships with people and understanding where those are and presenting the good news of Jesus as the solution, just like Jesus did, Mm -hmm. right? When you see how he interacted with folks, it was so individualized. It's not like he came, he had a spiel, and he gave it to everybody. He sat down, he listened to people, understood what their story was, and then helped them understand how the kingdom of God is the answer. That's Mm -hmm. so good. That's something that we talk about all the time, is this idea of like following that as our model. Mm -hmm. Like if nothing else, let's love God and love others, and relationship is the only way that you can really get people into a daily choosing that they're going to follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? right? And break bread. Don't forget. Let's have a meal together. (laughs) Right. I mean, it goes back to that servant model, Mm -hmm. right? Nobody likes to be sold, but if they know they're being served and being loved, Mm -hmm. that's a powerful message. And that's what Jesus brought. And if they're sold, too, I mean, it fosters this idea that as Christians, we're consumers, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is Mm -hmm. transactional or... Yeah. Yeah, and that's not what it's about. You know, he's not calling for fans. He's calling for followers, people who are committed Mm -hmm. to him. And so we don't come and just watch a show. You know, people didn't come... Well, people did want to follow Jesus (laughs) to see a show, but he always pointed them towards his teaching and said, yeah, if you want miracles, fine, but here's what I really want to do. And a lot of times that pushed people away. Right. Sometimes if all they wanted was the show, they ended up not following it. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have those prayers on the walls of your church, because it's just a reminder that that is, you know, at the forefront of your minds and your purpose, you know, when you're there at church. So I love that. 
Thanks. Mm-hmm. It just shows a commitment to longevity, mm-hmm. right? Right. There's a permanence to that when you We're see We're going to be here for a while. Basis. Right. Yeah. 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 But that's like what people need. And I think our generation too, we see through that sales pitch quicker than anybody, right? Oh, yeah. Like we can tell when I'm being sold or manipulated. We see the advertisements mm-hmm. and we know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And so relationship, I mean, since the beginning, that's the best way to reach people. Mm-hmm. I think we're coming out of that age where the church thinks they need to shiny up how good the gospel is. Right. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Philippians podcast. To check out even more resources like videos from Philippi, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us on Instagram at willowcreeknS. Be sure to share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.